starting in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, and a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with, his, with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. As he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. You may be seated. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you on this day. We thank you and we praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness. And uh, Lord, as we encounter your word today, I do indeed uh, pray that you would speak to our hearts and speak to our minds. Cause us, Heavenly Father, to, um, to hear these words, to understand them. And Lord, may they penetrate our hearts so that we would be changed and then so that we would enter into our neighborhoods and uh, to bring the same good news that, that uh, Philip the evangelist brought to this Ethiopian. Uh, guide us by your Holy Spirit as a congregation that we would be bold witnesses for you. So Lord, may you be glorified during this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. The account that was just read was the account of Philip, Philip the deacon or Philip uh, the evangelist ministering to a very prominent African, an Ethiopian official. The Philip that we just read about is not to be confused with Philip the apostle, who was one of the twelve whom Jesus had chosen. This is Philip, who was appointed by the apostles. He was appointed by the apostles in the church of Jerusalem to serve as a deacon, serving the Christian community at Jerusalem. So there he served in Jerusalem at the beginning of his ministry. But the church in Jerusalem didn't live in peace for very long. 
Another deacon, Stephen, was murdered for his witness. We read about that in the book of Acts. He was stoned, brutally murdered, and there was the apostle, or Paul, or Saul at that time, the apostle Paul, who was converted. There he was giving approval of, of Stephen's murder. After the murder of Stephen, believers in Jerusalem were scattered. Saul was out to destroy the church. He was out to murder Christians. But really what Saul was doing, it was like throwing water on a grease fire. You throw water on a grease fire, it just spreads the fire. It makes it worse. That's why you never put a fire out that, uh, with water that's a grease fire. So this persecution against believers in Jerusalem caused them to be scattered into to diverse geographic areas. And one of, one of the areas that Christians fled to during this persecution was Samaria. And this is the geographic location Philip ended up in eventually. And there he began to minister to the people in Samaria. And Samaria was an area that was occupied by those who were of only partial Jewish ancestry. And Samaritans were despised. They were despised by the Jews. Despised even more than, uh, than the Gentiles. So Samaria was the area where Philip proclaimed Christ. And the geographic locations are significant because Jesus had told the disciples that they would proclaim the gospel in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and then do you know where? To the ends of the earth. So here we see this progression in these chapters of Acts up until this point. The gospel had been proclaimed in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and now Philip encounters an Ethiopian. And now through this encounter with the Ethiopian, the gospel will go to the ends of the earth, into even Sudan. Philip's time in Samaria was exciting. You can read about it in the verses preceding today's reading. God did many amazing things in Samaria. Samaria was a fruitful time of ministry. But the Holy Spirit didn't want Philip to remain in Samaria. The Holy Spirit knew that others needed to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit had a plan. And his plan was that the gospel would go to Africa. That was the plan that God had in mind. That the gospel would reach even to Africa. So an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, telling him to go into the desert. There Philip found an Ethiopian eunuch. If you don't know what a eunuch is, just Google it. He was a high-ranking official of Candace or of the Egyptian queens. When Philip found the eunuch, this man was reading the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. No doubt he was um, seeking God. He desired God. And, and no doubt his time in Ethiopia brought him into contact with Jewish people. 
No doubt he was, he was in, uh, in the land of the Jews because of uh, some Jewish festival. But here he is reading Isaiah the prophet. Powerful passage of scripture which prophesies Jesus the Messiah. So through that encounter and with that passage from Isaiah, Philip shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with an Ethiopian. He was baptized and the gospel was brought to Africa. Today I'd like for us to take notice in this passage of this. I ask this question. Who does the work of bringing people to faith in Jesus? Who does this work? To whom does this assignment really belong to? We might assume that we do the work. But when we examine the primary actor in the book of Acts, we see that it is God himself who is accomplishing his missionary purpose and plan and strategy within this world. It is God who is the primary actor in this great work of bringing the gospel so that people can know and believe and be saved. He simply uses us. He used Philip. He uses me and he uses each and every one of you. We are simply his instruments which uh, are uh, used by God uh, in the Holy Spirit filling us so that we can then bring this good news to those who do not believe. Missions, evangelism, the work of the church is the work of God. God is the one who's getting the job done. God has always been on a mission. He will, he will continue his missionary activity until all things are fulfilled at the end of the ages. God is the great missionary. God is the great evangelist. He's the one who gets the job done. We are simply instruments in his hands. To be heralds, to carry, and to broadcast this good news to the world. It was an angel of the Lord who spoke to Philip, telling him to go into the desert. To leave Samaria, a place that was populated, and then to go into this rural area, the desert. Who am I going to find in the desert? Who wants to hang out in the desert? Maybe some of you are snowbirds and you love the desert. It's probably because you have a pool and you have water available to you. But during that time, to head out into the desert, that's not a, a, a good place to go. The angel says to go into the desert. God knew that someone was seeking the truth in the desert. There was somebody in the desert. So there God sent Philip, his willing servant, to encounter a man seeking the truth. God uses us. He uses us as his instruments. God has chosen us to bring the good news to the world. He has chosen us to bring the good news to those who are, are searching and who are longing for salvation. God works through us. He works through us as heralds of the gospel to bring to his elect throughout the earth the good news of Jesus Christ. But God uses us in very specific ways. He uses us in very specific ways. He doesn't, he doesn't send us out without a word. He doesn't just send us out there with nothing 
And he doesn't expect us to share with other people our own wisdom and insight. God sends us, he sends us as a people who are equipped, equipped with his word. Equipped with the very message of the gospel. So he sends us out. Equipped with his word. Equipped with the message of God himself found in the pages of the Bible. God uses us, but it's so much more than us. It's us with a specific message. It's us with good news to share and to give to this world. That message is the message of Jesus Christ. The message of Jesus Christ who suffered, as Isaiah prophesied. The message of Jesus who died for us. The message of Jesus whose blood covers our sins. The message of Jesus who was resurrected and is alive and bestowing his salvation and his promises upon us. God uses us, but primarily and more specifically, he uses his word proclaimed by us. This is how God works. This is how God gets the job done. This is how people are brought to salvation. And I want to let you know, I, have, I really have nothing to offer you. I have nothing to give you. I have nothing. This is why I, I try to be a student of his word. So that I can give you, not of myself, but of the word of God. So that you can be fed and nourished by God himself through his word. So that you can be equipped as his missionary people in this community to go with good news so that this world will know who Jesus is. I hope you understand that. And I hope that that's your expectation. There's our pastor, and he has nothing to offer us. But the word of God. Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. Um, if this pastor gig was about me, you would be suffering. You would get nothing out of this time. It's about Jesus. It's about him. It's about his word. God uses his word, proclaimed by his servants, to bring salvation. We need to understand that God's word is powerful. It is effective. People are not brought to faith by our ability to reason with them. No matter how persuasive our arguments might be for Jesus being the Savior, without the truth of God's word, our arguments accomplish nothing. The Holy Spirit does the work of creating faith. He's the one who does the work through his word. The Holy Spirit works through specific means. We, we call them the means of grace. And the primary means of grace that the Holy Spirit uses to forgive sins and to bestow salvation is the word of God. 
And without the word of God, the other means of grace would really be nothing but just water or, or, or wine and bread. But connected to the word of God, they become to us a means of grace. So the primary means of grace is God's word. The very promise of God which centers on Jesus and focuses upon Jesus is the saving power of God which the Holy Spirit uses God has a way of working in the hearts of people. God has a way of of bringing them to faith. So the word of God must be shared because the word of God is the means which God uses. So we support organizations which, which distribute God's word. We support missionaries who translate the Bible into the languages of the people so that the people can, can have God's word in their own language. If people don't have God's word, even an English copy of it, we'd probably be very surprised at how many people in our own neighborhood don't have access to a Bible. They've never opened the Bible. They've never read the Bible. They don't know what's in there. So we need to get the Bible out. To all people, even people, we can't miss our Jerusalem, our neighborhood, first. So we get the word of God out. And then people are brought from seeking God, desiring God, to knowing God, and possessing his salvation. So we need to get the word of God out. We need to be about preaching and witnessing so that the message of the gospel, through that message, people will be saved And my prayer for Maple Park is that we would be a people who fall in love with the Word of God. That we would be a people who love God's Word. Not just that we would love His Word for our own personal use, our own personal devotion, but that we would love God's Word so much that we would desire that all people would know the message of His Word. Faithful devotion to sharing his word, sharing God's word with an unbelieving world comes much easier when we are being changed by it through our devotion to it. So as we are devoted to his word, God does a work within us. And that work then causes us and motivates us to say, hey, this is, this is good news. The gospel really works. So I want to bring that message to my neighbor. So I've encouraged you to think of an unbeliever or someone who has walked away from the faith, and I've encouraged you to pray for that person. So I hope you're praying for somebody who needs God's word. I hope that you've written that name down. And I hope you're praying. You're praying for them. A couple of weeks ago, I encouraged you to write out your testimony. I did that so that you would be able, when you're given opportunity, to articulate your story of faith so that you're, you're ready to share it when the Holy Spirit gives you opportunity to share it. So I hope you have written out your testimony. Praying for somebody, 
reflecting upon your relationship with Jesus Christ, writing your testimony out. Maybe your testimony does not in, uh, include a dramatic conversion experience. It doesn't have to, to include a dramatic conversion experience. Because each and every one of you have, have a testimony that is being built every day as God works in you. So maybe your testimony is of God bringing you through a difficult time. Of God showing you something new. Of God assuring you of his promises on a daily basis. This is not a testimony that needs to include dramatic conversion experiences of one of, of being um, you know, an axe murderer who was converted to Jesus Christ. That's not what it's about. It's just simply sharing. What does Jesus mean to you and how has Jesus changed you and how is he working in your life even today? So I hope you're praying for somebody who needs the gospel and I hope that you are able to articulate your testimony. Now I want to encourage you to find a Bible verse. Find a Bible verse that goes along with your testimony. Maybe it's a verse that that has given to you the assurance of, of God's forgiveness, of his love, of eternal life, of his salvation. Find a Bible verse. Maybe it's a Bible verse that carried you through a difficult season in your Christian walk. A promise from the Bible that, that, you, that you stood upon and you found great comfort and you found a support from that promise from God. Pray for somebody, write your testimony out, include a passage of scripture in it. So that when you have conversations with people, as, as Philip had a conversation with an Ethiopian, you will be able to then say, hey, this is, this is what Jesus means to me. This is what Jesus did for me, and I, I stood upon this promise from the Bible. God can use that in powerful ways in the lives of other people. You see, God's word isn't just for us. It's for the world. God's word is for your neighbor. God's word is for the kid that serves you coffee at Starbucks. God's word is for that elderly couple enjoying the sunset on the beach. God's word is for this world because it's the message of Jesus and of hope and of salvation. God's word is for those who are wondering questioning and seeking. The day after September 11th, 2001, uh, some family friends showed up at my parents' door. These are longtime friends of my parents. My parents knew them before they were Christians, and my parents knew that they, that, that, uh, or these friends knew that my parents are Christians. So the day after September 11th, they showed up at their door because they, they could not process what was happening. They couldn't process their own emotions. And so my parents, what did they do? They, they, they brought the word of God out. They opened the Bible to them. And they were so interested in what God's word had to say that they actually took my dad's Bible home without even asking. My dad thought that was pretty funny. We'll grow cold and we will grow ineffective in our faith if we keep our Bible studies to ourselves. We'll grow cold and ineffective if we keep our personal devotions too personal. We will grow cold and ineffective if we don't find ways to get God's word into the hands of other people. This is a part of our lives as Christians. 
And God has used this church, God has used Maple Park in mighty ways to get the word of God out. And I know that he will continue to do the same. I see it. I see this congregation being a mighty witness of God's word in this very neighborhood, in this very community. I see it. I see you encountering people in, in daily life, in, in your normal routine, throughout the week. I see you encountering people and being given opportunity by God himself, by the Holy Spirit, to speak into the lives of other people. I see it. I even see us. How can we not do it? Encounter people of various ethnicities. This area has become very different than it was probably 30 years ago, right? Encountering even people of various ethnicities from the ends of the earth who have come to us, given opportunity to share the good news of the gospel. So we read, Philip ran up to the chariot. Philip ran up to the chariot. May we have this enthusiasm for sharing the good news of Jesus. He didn't just walk up to the chariot, he ran up to the chariot. Most likely he was running beside the chariot. The chariot was probably more of a, of a large uh, covered wagon being pulled by ox down a desert road with the driver, the driver, an Ethiopian, uh, maybe an attendant. Philip was probably jogging alongside this, hearing the prophet Isaiah being read, and then he was invited in. He was invited in. There's no doubt in my mind that the conversation was lengthy. Enough information was given that the Ethiopian understood the message of the gospel and that in understanding the message of the gospel and understanding even of the importance of baptism and conversion was also communicated. What a conversation. Man, to be a person who would be able to just listen into that conversation. God not only uses us, he uses his word, he uses us to bring his word to other people. And we see here baptism included in this whole thing. He also uses baptism as a means of grace in our salvation. We believe, teach, and confess baptism as a means of grace which delivers God's promise of salvation. I have a few verses up here for you. Acts chapter 2 beginning with verse 38. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And then it says, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. When Philip explained the gospel to this Ethiopian, he also explained the importance of baptism. And when the Ethiopian saw water, he said, stop the chariot. 
what prevents me from being baptized? They went down into the water, and there the Ethiopian was baptized. Baptized in the name of the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What was Philip doing? What is Philip doing? Philip was fulfilling the Great Commission. He was fulfilling the very commandment that Jesus had given to his followers. Matthew 28, 19, another verse that's on the screen for you. Jesus said to the disciples, Therefore, and go, uh, go and make disciples of all nations, doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God knows how to fulfill this great commission. God has a plan. God has a purpose. God has a way. He hasn't called us to question his ways. He simply called us to believe and to receive and to be filled with the gifts that he has given to us. Philip simply listened to God. Philip was free freely and joyfully obedient to go and to find the Ethiopian. Philip didn't give this man his own so-called wisdom. Philip didn't say, look at me and look at what I have to say. He expounded on the Bible, this passage from Isaiah. When they came to water, Philip baptized the newly converted man. Obeying what Jesus said, to go, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As Philip shared the gospel of salvation with this Ethiopian, baptism was also included in the, in the conversation of New Testament conversion and of salvation. You see, where there is conversion, there is baptism. And where there is baptism, there is conversion. You cannot separate the two. Baptism is a means of grace. God's word, God's promise of forgiveness and of salvation connected to water. And by water and the word, God's saving grace is given to those who receive baptism. Baptism is for you. Baptism is for you. For you who believe, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you have not been baptized, today is the day. Today is the day. Not tomorrow, but today. Today is the day that the Holy Spirit is calling you. Calling you to stop. And to say, Pastor, I desire this. I desire this. There's no need to schedule it. This is a gift you are welcome to receive immediately. God is calling you. You see, baptism is something God wants to do for you. He wants to give you his promise connected to this water. 
It's God's means of grace given to you. It's not a work that you accomplish for God. It's a work that God accomplishes for you. Attached to the waters of your baptism are every good and true promise of the gospel. What is the gospel promise attached to baptism? I love Galatians 3.27. I put this on the board too. Galatians 3.27 here. The Apostle Paul is talking about salvation. Salvation not being of our works, but a gift. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You wear Christ almost as a garment. We can't leave out Romans 6.3. I also have this on the screen. Romans 6.3 and following. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism joins you to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What an amazing gift. Today is the day. Be baptized. We'll do it. We'll do it today. We have water. We have a baptismal font. And we can baptize you. When people come to me and when they're struggling in their spiritual lives and they doubt God's promises, I remind them of their baptism. I can say, but yeah, you were... You were baptized. And all of these gospel promises are attached to your baptism. You can have assurance in your salvation. You see, I could point them to, to internal subjective feelings. I could say, well, don't you feel God's presence? Or didn't you feel God's presence? Feelings are so subjective. They're fleeting. They're like shifting sand. They're here one minute and then they're gone the next. Sometimes I don't feel close to God. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm a Christian. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm forgiven. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm going to heaven. You ever have that experience too? If you're normal, you do, right? We're not to trust in our feelings. So I, I point people to not to any internal subjective feeling or experience. I point people to an external objective reality. And that external objective reality is their baptism. They may not even remember it, but that doesn't negate the fact that God accomplished something amazing by this water connected to the word in their baptism. Water connected to the word in the name of the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Marked with the cross of Christ forever. We do not have assurance of salvation because we have had or are having an emotional experience. We're assured of our salvation because of God's true promises 
found in the pages of the Bible. We are assured of our salvation because every salvation promise was connected to the waters of your baptism. Now there's an interesting thing that happened to Philip. Acts chapter 8 verse 39. It says, and when they came up out of the water, something very interesting happened here. They came up out of the water. This great thing happened. Philip was baptized. And then it says in in verse 39 that the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And the eunuch went away rejoicing. Now I'm a Star Trek fan. When I read about this, I can't help but think of Captain Kirk calling the Enterprise and saying, beam me up, Scotty. Because all of a sudden, Philip is gone. And he's transported to another location. God has a means of transporting people. For those of us with a biblical worldview, this, this isn't far-fetched. It's simply the reality of an omnipotent God accomplishing his plans and his purposes within our world. It is God doing what needs to be done in order to get the message to as many people as possible. You see, if God wants you somewhere, he'll get you there. If God wants you somewhere, he will get you there. He'll take you to the place that you need to be. If you need to talk to somebody about these things, if if a conversation needs to happen, God is the one who will get you to that place where you can have these important conversations like Philip had with the Ethiopian on the desert road. We serve a good God. We serve an amazing God. The Ethiopian, it says, saw Philip no more. He went on his way rejoicing. Salvation came to this man and he was filled with joy. And subsequently, salvation was brought to many more people. The gospel was brought to the continent of Africa. But for Philip, Acts 8.40, but Philip found himself in Azotus, Azotus, or Ashdod. As he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. God is on a mission. God has a plan. God is using his church. God is using you and I to bring this good news, these promises to the world. And then it takes, and then God takes those who believe. God will take those who we go to with the gospel. Think of this, God will will use us through our witness, to bring more people into the church, and then they will then go, and even more will hear and believe. This process repeats, and it repeats, and it repeats. It repeated throughout history until the message of the gospel came to you. May it never stop with us. May we continue to share it. May we continue to carry it on so that all people will believe. So this morning, I want us to pray for our community. Would you join me in prayer, believing that the Holy Spirit will send us out like he sent Philip into this world? Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you. I thank you, Lord Jesus, 
that you have laid upon our hearts people, people who are in need, people who need the gospel. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give to us, give to each and every one of us, through the power of your Holy Spirit, the courage, the courage and the faith to go and to share with other people, to share with them this good news. May we go filled with your Holy Spirit, knowing that you'll get us where you want us to be, knowing that it's not our word, but it's your word, knowing that it's not our work, but it's your work. Fulfill your plans for salvation in the hearts and in the minds of whomever you would lead us to as a congregation and as individuals. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.